are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our occupational and academic backgrounds in criminology and medicine to tell you crime stories each week. I'm Chloe. And I'm Melina. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, we are telling you the story of the disappearance of a family in Maine that happened in June of this year. The missing people consist of Nicholas Hansen, his ex-girlfriend, Jill Sidebotham, and their daughter, two-year-old Lydia Hansen. The three were last seen on surveillance footage in Mexico, Maine, at a Walmart, shopping for supplies. They were seen previously by Jill's mother, who was present when Nick had invited Jill and Lydia on a camping trip. Jill's mother thought that it was a bad idea because there was a history of intimate partner violence victimization perpetrated by Nick and upon her daughter, Jill. She was concerned for Jill and Lydia's safety and welfare and advised her daughter to not go on the trip. Her daughter reassured her that all would be well, and they departed in Jill's Volkswagen Jetta with main plates. The last activity on Jill's phone was on June 28th, but Jill's fiance, Corey Alexander, has told media sources that he had received messages purportedly from Jill from her Facebook account on June 29th, that very next day. That's the last known contact. It's unknown what the precise contents of those messages were and if it is known for sure whether those messages were written by Jill or possibly somebody else. Prior to leaving to go on this camping trip, Nicholas had quit his job, and shortly before this, he had lost custody of two of his other children from a different mother for reasons unknown. But I can't help but wonder if it has something to do with domestic abuse because of what Jill's family has said about him. Jill and her fiancé, Corey Alexander, were described by Corey as having a, quote, perfect relationship. Jill also has a son from a previous relationship that, according to Corey and her family, that she would absolutely never abandon. And her not returning from this trip, she was due to return on June 30th, is completely out of character in that they do not believe that the disappearances of Jill and Lydia are voluntary. Jill and Corey were due to move into a new apartment over the 4th of July weekend. She had a lot to look forward to, plus, of course, maintaining and nurturing her relationship with her son and her other family members with whom she was very close. Do you know what Corey said or thought about the idea that Jill would just go off on this camping trip with her abusive ex-boyfriend? I think everybody, including her fiance, was immediately concerned, and the fact that she did so on such short notice and without much consultation with pretty much anybody in her life was concerning. I think they were more concerned, though, with the lack of contact after the fact. I think they could all see her as being a peacemaker and not wanting to make waves or cause problems and possibly seeing the good in people or underestimating the danger in a situation. But 
they were more concerned about the inactivity and lack of communication after they had departed for this so-called camping trip because that's really what was uncharacteristic of Jill. Jill's father, Ron, had told the media that it wasn't in his daughter's nature to do something like this, like go on a camping trip and then completely lose contact with everybody. He said she's never done anything like this. There was apparently approximately $200 in cash that was typically kept at Jill's home that is now missing along with Jill and Lydia. They were last spotted at that Walmart in Mexico, Maine, but before that, they were spotted at the Coos Canyon campground in Byron, Maine. In the surveillance images that have been released to the media, everything seems completely fine between the three. There's no apparent tension or arguing in the images. Jill is holding Lydia in some of the images and Nick is holding her in others. They're seen paying for items calmly from somebody that has no knowledge of these people or what they're like. To me, I sense a little bit of tension just from the surveillance footage. It looks like Jill looks a little sullen or unhappy, but that could also be translated as she's cranky or sleep deprived. She has a toddler. It's really hard to say, but you know, they're not smiling and laughing and joking around in this footage. I saw headlines of this disappearance back when it happened in late June and in late June, early July, and I was hoping that it was a misunderstanding, that they had lost service, and I expected a quick recovery, fast answer. But here we are in September of the same year, and there's no sign of them. There's no sign of her Volkswagen Jetta. It makes you wonder how this could have happened. How could they be off the radar for this long if they're all still with us? If this was a scenario of domestic homicide, family annihilation, which is, I think, the worst case scenario that is the fear that everybody has looking at this, given Nicholas Hansen's history of domestic violence and other criminal activity, that this could be what has happened. Besides the intimate partner violence acts that were perpetrated against Jill, there was some history, I think, of petty crimes like theft, failing to return a firearm to somebody. When I think about how three people just disappeared into thin air, I like to think about the possible reasons why. Let's say they all decided to run away together. I feel like that that's probably the least likely scenario, given the history that these two former partners had. The fact that Jill was probably somewhat, if not completely fearful of Nick, makes me think that she would never willingly run away with him, leaving behind her son. And Jill wouldn't deprive her family of Lydia, their granddaughter. Another option is that while the family was out camping or traveling, that an accident could have happened, like car accident or foul play inflicted on all of them. But you would think that there would be some evidence of that if it was like a completely random thing. You would think, but you never know. But I feel like Nicholas saw his life completely unraveling. I think that the idea that he lost custody of his two other children made him lose a sense of identity. And also, if you lose custody of your kids, it's, you know, at the very least, this is a complete reduction but it's embarrassing, right? Because 
you must really have screwed up big time for the state to get involved and you literally are legally not allowed to be around your kids anymore or take care of them unsupervised. So that alone, even if he didn't even really care about his kids, if he just cared about his image or how that looks, that could have been a effort moment for him. So he quits his job and he threatens or pressures Jill to spend time with him because Lydia is the only kid that he has left. And I feel like that there was some sort of coercion involved. I bet when Jill's mother asked or urged her to not go on this trip, that Jill wanted to play it cool, didn't want to alarm her. Maybe she thought that if she just did whatever he said, that everything would be okay and that they would come back. I truly believe that in some way, physically, emotionally, whatever, blackmail, he coerced her into coming and that she just hoped that she would be safe and that by doing this and appeasing him, that she would keep her daughter safe as well. But because of the amount of time that has gone by, I feel like that he did something to them or is holding them or hiding them. If he did do something to them, he's either on the run or he probably committed suicide, which is common for family annihilators to do, especially with all the shame that they would face if they had to face their loved ones and even just complete strangers of the shameful act that they had committed. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. I hope it's not a scenario of family annihilation, but if it is, it's curious what he could have done to hide the vehicle and the bodies of himself, his ex-girlfriend and daughter. So it makes you wonder if they are out there off the grid in some community or he just did a good job concealing all of the evidence Maybe the vehicle is underwater. It seems that the organization Adventures with a Purpose has had a lot of success bringing closure to unsolved disappearances by finding missing persons vehicles and sometimes as a result, the missing person's body as well if they are in the vehicle. So I think that could be a potential outcome. It does make you think about the phenomena of family annihilators and what motivates parents to kill their children. And When you're looking at it from a criminological standpoint, parents who kill their children do so for several reasons that they claim, including facing a divorce, a custody battle, or severe economic loss. Sometimes in family annihilation, they kill just their children to punish the spouse, or they will kill everybody, including themselves. Sometimes their justification is that they killed the children to protect them from future suffering, from exposure to life without their parents who are now dead from the murder or murder-suicide scenario, or because they are so jaded and have such a distorted view of reality that they believe that life has so much suffering that the costs outweigh the benefits to remain alive for the children, which is obviously not their decision to make. No one has the right to decide to end the life of another. Like I said, other times it's to punish an estranged spouse during the breakdown of a marriage. Family annihilation is a rare crime, but of course I'm very troubled by headlines whenever they come up. Recently, 46-year-old Tracy Doe of Westport, Connecticut, drowned her seven-year-old daughter, Layla Mallon, before killing herself. 
in the midst of a bitter divorce and custody battle. Unfortunately, her teenage daughter found the bodies of her mother and little sister. It's curious that she only murdered one of the children to punish the estranged husband and not both of them. But perhaps it was an impulsive crime and only one child was home. Some parents have a rare psychotic disorder called Munchausen's by proxy, which is characterized by creating medical symptoms in another to confirm their delusional belief that a person is ill. Parents do this for a number of reasons. They may be desperate to feel needed by their children or be desperate for attention and sympathy that comes from society when you have a sick child. To create erroneous symptoms, they may poison or drug their children. A parent might take it too far and accidentally or intentionally kill them in the process. In some Muslim cultures, the concept of honor killings are still prevalent, and that can be a reason that is cited by parents who kill their children. In these cases, male family members will murder female family members perceived to have transgressed and brought shame upon the family name. Parents also kill their children in a pattern of child abuse and kill their spouses in a pattern of intimate partner violence, either in commission of or in effort to hide chronic physical or sexual abuse. When a child is murdered and evidence points to the parents, it is not uncommon for there to have been a pattern of abuse. For instance, when you look at the homicide case of Alyssa Turney, she was 17 years old in 2000 when her stepfather was alleged to have killed her. Michael Turney is alleged to have sexually abused Alyssa throughout her childhood and coerced her not to report him, saying Alyssa would be separated from her younger sister. She was about to turn 18 and planned to rescue her sister from the environment, and her stepfather would no longer have control over her, so he allegedly murdered her to leverage control back. So this effort to leverage control back and continuing a pattern of violence is likely the scenario here if Nicholas Hansen has committed an act of family annihilation. The relationship between him and Jill was severed. There were bad circumstances. Law enforcement was involved. The courts were involved. He was now having issues with his other family and his other children losing custody. He had quit his job. Clearly, things were unraveling for him, and he was not in a good or stable place. He was someone that was easily provoked and prone to violence. He seemed to be making decisions clouded in finality, like quitting that job. And, you know, losing custody was not a decision that he made, but it was a decision made on his behalf that is quite final and quite devastating. And as we discussed, losing custody or custody challenges is a prime motivator of murder of one's current or ex-intimate partner or child. Based on the research and prevalence of family annihilators, if Jill and Lydia are no longer with us, how likely, Chloe, do you think that it is that Nicholas is still alive and well, living out his life somewhere? Family annihilators are more likely than killers of other motivations and modus operandi to later commit suicide. But that doesn't happen in every case. We saw that in the murders of Shanann, Cece, and Bella Watts, perpetrated by their husband and father, Chris Watts. He tried to just move on and proceed with life as if nothing had happened. Scott Peterson did the same thing after he had murdered his wife and unborn child. 
people do try to move on. Sometimes people go on the run. Like we had talked about Robert Fisher, who is now an FBI most wanted fugitive. He had murdered his wife and children decades ago. It's unknown if he's alive or dead, but him being alive is definitely a distinct possibility given what we know about how long fugitives can successfully survive out there. Not that it's a good life. Nick Hansen could still be out there if this is what happened, especially with no location on the missing vehicle. He might still have access to a vehicle and could be just living off the grid. Maybe he had a plan. Maybe Jill and Lydia are still alive and being held involuntarily off the grid. Or he could just be a fugitive right now. But I think it's possible that given the nature of family annihilation that he also could have committed suicide and somehow concealed the vehicle before doing so. Do you think that based off of the news coverage and the information available about this particular disappearance that local authorities are doing everything they can? I would have never even heard about this case if it weren't for you. Jill's family does believe that the Sanford Maine Police Department is doing everything in their power to locate their loved ones. I'm not sure why this isn't a state police case, given how much time has passed and the severity of the crime, but perhaps it's not in their jurisdiction at this juncture. You can contact the Sanford Police Department with any information on missing Jill Sidebotham and her daughter, Lydia Hansen. Also missing is Lydia's father, Nicholas Hansen. You can contact the Sanford Police Department at 207-324-3644. Lydia Hansen is two years old, born on September 16th, 2019. She's a white female with blonde hair and blue eyes, standing at three feet tall and 30 pounds. She may be in the company of her mother, Jill Sidebotham, who's 28 years old, a white female with brown hair and blue eyes, standing at 5 foot 3 inches tall and weighing 130 pounds. She has multiple tattoos and piercings. Her hair is brown and may have been dyed with pink highlights at the time of her disappearance. Nicholas Hansen is 38 years old and is a white male with brown eyes and brown hair. He is 5 foot 10 and 135 pounds. They may be traveling in a 2005 silver Volkswagen Jetta with main license plate 1563VJ. The vehicle has a black rear bumper. <laughs>